Hey everybody, it's Zev from Narrative. This is the most romantic week of the year. And you know what that means? Dinners, dates, drinks, and more. And sometimes those celebrations can leave you feeling a little worse for wear the next morning, if you know what I mean. Well, I have discovered an absolutely brilliant solution for that. It's called Z-Biotics. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic, and it's a miracle formula that allows you to have a few drinks at night without getting those awful post-drinking blues the next day. No need to worry about safety. It's all natural and FDA compliant. You can get Z-Biotics for 15% off your first order with my code REACH, R-E-A-C-H. I recommend getting the six-pack. That's what I got, and it's a great deal, and you'll have a couple of extra to share with your friends. Click the link in the description box or scan the QR code on the screen right now and use code REACH, R-E-A-C-H, at checkout. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash REACH and get 15% off plus 100% money-back guarantee if you're not satisfied. Make this date night one even Cupid would be proud of. Get some Z-Biotics today so you can still feel the love tomorrow. I like that. Now let's turn to Ruslan Danchenko, who is the executive director of StopFake.org. It's an organization whose members we've interviewed before. They do incredible work at stopping disinformation in Ukraine by going after it as soon as it pops up, as soon as a narrative that's fake pops up, they go after it, dispel it, and help and know what's true and what's not true. And actually, have had a great impact on global events because of that, because they've been able to dispel some of these disinformation efforts by Russia. They've been able to actually stop potential terror attacks or other attacks from happening against Ukraine. On the one-year anniversary, it was great to be able to talk to Ruslan about his own feelings about a year later, a year into this major offensive, but also to listen to him talk about the major achievements of StopFake.org and what we in the United States and in Canada can learn from these incredibly smart people who've been able to tackle disinformation in the way they have. Here's my interview with Ruslan Denchenko. Thank you for inviting me. Let me get your initial thoughts as you are now one year into a, an increased conflict with Russia. Of course, the war has been going on for nine years, but you're now one year into this larger conflict. How are things in Kiev? How is life in Kiev? And what are your thoughts about this sort of protracted war that we keep keeps going on. Almost every day we have alerts and we go to bomb shelters and my son who is in school, they, every time the, this alert, they hear the sound, the children, they go to bomb shelters. And we had very difficult times without electricity. At least for 10 days, we didn't have electricity at our home. It's encouraging to hear that schooling is continuing, even though your child is to endure all these sirens and these alerts. This is the, one of the things I hate Russia because of my children and other children. They have to experience all these alerts. They have to experience sound of Russian missiles. And this is terrible. Unfortunately, we have to experience it and we still don't know for how long it will continue. Yeah. It robs them of their innocence and their childhood really. And it's interesting you say you hate Russia. Did you hate Russia before? No. We understood that this is probably not the friendliest country in the world. Of course, we, we remember what happened with Georgia. Of course, we remember what happened with Moldova and many other Russian neighbors. But truthfully, we have never expected anything like that. that we didn't expect the full-scale invasion, the war, and these terrible things that Russian soldiers and Russian military do in Ukraine. It's forever redefined the relationships that Ukrainians have with Russians and Russia. And yet the leader of Russia, Vladimir Putin, seems determined to continue his war. 
There are reports today about Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, potentially agreeing to send weapons to arm the Russian forces. How is that news landing in Ukraine? Are people concerned about the potential increase in, in Chinese support to the Russians? Of course. We know that uh, Russia expecting some shor shortage in equipment. We know they lost a lot of tanks and other machinery in Ukraine. And of course, we don't know any country, Iran or China, help them to restore their activities, to help them to bomb Ukrainian cities. It will be terrible. And we expect peaceful initiatives from China. We expect they pressure Putin to stop this aggression, to stop this war. We don't expect them or anybody else to supply them with the military equipment they need. Yeah, it would be a travesty and a real disaster for the world and the region if China suddenly decided to enter this war with weapons to Russia especially when Russia doesn't even seem to be capable of fighting, regardless of the weapons it has. This would just be an extension of the horrors we've already seen on the battlefield. There's 145,000 deaths. What a waste of human life. What a waste of just human resources for a country to be sending 145,000 people to their death. And yet, somehow, Vladimir Putin justifies continuing to do this. You must have no people who have been to the front. You must have known people who've also killed some of these Russians. Are you feeling like there's a trauma that's setting in amongst Ukrainians? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of our friends, they left the country. They take their children to abroad or to other safest, more safe places. Our family, the, my family members, they lived in occupation in Sumerij and it's very close to the border with Russia. Fortunately, those, this place is liberated right now. And of course, there are a lot of my friends who, with weapons who drafted to the army. And by the way, two members of our stop fake team, they're in the army right now. Every, everyone in Ukraine feels this war, like it's personal. It's not that it's far away somewhere. Yeah, and it does seem like it's getting bloodier and bloodier. The, certainly the offensive seems to be from the Russians seems to be stepping up in recent days. These are ordinary people going up to the front in most cases. They're not trained soldiers. They're people, as you point out, from your stop fake team. They're ordinary people you'd see doing normal jobs in civilian society. And they're being forced to face all these incredible challenges. Is there a hopeful side for you about how things are going? Or is there a hope about the future of Ukraine once this war is all over? We are researchers and we monitor Russian media and we monitor also Belarusian media. So unfortunately, we don't see any signs that Russia is going to finish this war. But the good sign that just monitoring Belarusian media, we, we don't see signs that Belarusia is going to join Putin's efforts and going to send its troops to Ukraine. And let me remind you that we are a fact-checking project and we're just monitoring Russian media. You can sometimes predict the future, but so far we don't see any good signs that Putin is going to finish this war. Let's talk a little bit about your work at stopfake.org. It's a terrific organization. It spends a lot of time with Russian disinformation. And we in the United States have been going through very similar kind of disinformation offensive over the last few years. Now, it does all seem very much connected to the initial invasion in Ukraine nine years ago. It's certainly when the could pinpoint the start of this war on democracy that has extended now across the world and has landed in the United States as a real divider of the people by polarizing people, especially using 
more traditional mainstream news like Fox News and those kinds of organizations. What have you discovered in Ukraine? Was there such an offensive to try and polarize the country before the invasion began? You're absolutely right. Almost nine years ago, the group of professors and alumni of the School of Journalism, they gathered together and decided to create this fact-checking project. And we started to monitor Russian media and fact-check information that Russian media produced about Ukraine. And what we learned for these nine years, as I said, sometimes you can predict the future just watching Russian television. And it was a funny story that the first, very first article I wrote for the website, it was about Ukrainian refugees in Russia. It was March of 2019, 2014, excuse me. And uh, there were no refugees, there were no events in the Donbass and Crimea. So when I, che I checked this information, I called to Russian Federal Migration Service and they told me that they don't have refugees from Ukraine. But what the lady told me that they have received an order from Moscow to, to prepare places for refugees. And it was strange that there are no refugees, but you do something to prepare for refugees. And several weeks later, I understood when events in Donbass started, refugees appeared. And, but the Russian media, they already prepared their society for refugees and their migration services, they were prepared. So they staged everything. They planned everything before ahead. And the same happened with this full-scale invasion. We have noticed the change in Russian media rhetoric exactly one year before this full-scale invasion. The whole year we observed and monitored Russian media. And let me tell you that three months before this invasion, we, we, we had a conclusion that Russia will do it. Russia will invade. So. I think this is one of the outcomes of the work of our team that, again, you can have useful information about plans of Putin, about plans of Kremlin. It's remarkable how much you can glean from the disinformation, how much valuable information is in there and how important it is to actually fight disinformation as you guys do on a very quick, immediate basis to disarm whatever is coming in as quickly as you can so it doesn't spread. And I want to take a look at some of those examples that you shared with me. The first example relates to the initial reason that Vladimir Putin and Russia thought it was appropriate to attack the Donbass, and that was that they felt that 14,000 people had been killed in a genocide by Ukrainians, meaning 14,000 ethnic Russian speakers. Tell us a little bit about how you found out that wasn't, in fact, true, and how you were able to disarm some of Vladimir Putin's rhetoric. Yeah, absolutely. Russian officials and uh, Mr. Putin, he uses this information about 14,000 casualties of this war as a pretext for this full-scale invasion. He said that it was Ukrainian genocide against Russian-speaking population in Donbass. But numbers say the different story. Putin, Putin's statement is manipulation. 14,000 casualties, it's casualties for eight years of this conflict in Donbass. And almost all of them are not civilians. They are military personnel from both sides. And from both sides. Oh, that's interesting. Both sides, yes. And for two recent years before, before this invasion, the number of casualties 
they were single digit numbers, five and six. So the, this conflict after this, after signing this Minsk agreement come down and there were no reason at all to start this full scale operation because hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. And by the way, this five and six casualties, people lost their lives because of mines and other explosives, not because of shelling of Ukrainian army. So it was absolute manipulation and we proved it with numbers from official sources and they are confirmed by even from Donetsk and Luhansk. So it's not that Ukrainian side created this number. So these are numbers from the opposites. So, so the pretext for war that Vladimir Putin had, this idea that there was some sort of genocide in the Donbass, not true at all. That in fact, what he was using as a number there yeah, is 14,000. Manipulation yeah. and it was a false pretext, artificial yeah. pretext. I guess the other pretext that the Russians had in the initial stage of this full-scale invasion was that they were trying to denazify Ukraine. They said here in this one particular article that they were able to detain Ukrainian Nazis. Now you found out that these guys were not, in fact, Ukrainian Nazis. Yeah, absolutely. And it happened exactly one year yeah. before the full-scale invasion. They detained a lot of young men in different Russian cities. And when we checked this information, we discovered that all of them, they had no connections with Ukraine and they were not terrorists. And by the way, they were released from prison just a few days after this information was disseminated by Russian media. Hundreds of Russian media outlets, they disseminated this information. And we talked with these guys, we talked with the investigatives. So they told us that they have no connection with Ukraine. They were just regular local people, local Russian citizens, and they had nothing to do with Ukrainian Nazis. And we think that after the reaction from Russian government officials to this story, we have an impression that FSB created this story as a potential artificial pretext for full-scale invasion. So I think it, it, this story is very important and we think that we prevented some real terrorist acts in Russia. Here's an interesting one that many people still today quote about these bio labs, these weapons labs in Ukraine that Russia and Vladimir Putin, even in his speech the other day, he commented on about the bio labs. The truth is very simple. There are no bio labs in Ukraine created to develop biological weapons. It's absolute nonsense. And the Russian media and Russian government officials used these stories, used these fakes to create, to explain why Russia invaded in Ukraine. No, there is no single piece of evidence to prove that any kind of lab laboratories where Ukrainians with American help created biological weapons like mosquitoes who bite only Russian speaking population or birds who disseminate some kind of viruses that can affect only Russians. So it, it, there, there were some very stupid fakes. It's always surprised me that a country that's led by a Jewish leader is being accused of being run by Nazis when 
fact he's Jewish, but it's more intricate than that, right? What they what do they mean by these in this context of Ukraine? They are trying to persuade their own population, and of course, they are trying to persuade foreign countries, leaders, and citizens that Nazis not just popular in Ukraine, but the Ukrainian government tribes Nazi views and Nazi ideology. But again, for anybody who lives in Ukraine. It's absolute nonsense. And there, there are different research that shows that Ukrainians are more tolerant to other nations than even than their neighbors. And of course, the level of anti-Semitism in Russia is much higher than in Ukraine. And what they do in Russian propaganda, they take the individual case, for example, somebody with the Nazi tattoo or somebody with a Nazi flag. They try to say that this individual case's general picture, there are Nazis everywhere. There are people who subscribe to this ideology in the United States, in Russia, of course, and everywhere. But in Ukraine, of course, even if representatives of ultra-right parties took part in elections, they have never won any elections or took any significant number of places in the Ukrainian parliament. Again, they, why the Russian propaganda tries, try to use these, uh, these stories, they try to persuade our partners in the European Union or in the United States, do not help Ukraine, do not supply weapons to Ukraine because your weapon can get to Ukrainian Nazi. And uh, of course there are a lot of stories that um, the weapons that our partners supply to Ukraine goes to other countries, to the European Union, and they can, the terrorists in these countries can get the Western precise weapons. So the only one task of Russian propaganda to, to ruin our relations with our partners. President Biden has been exemplary, in my opinion, in terms of his leadership on this issue, in terms of uniting NATO, in terms of uniting the allies and creating this environment where there's been both sanctions and there's been a supply of weapons to the Ukrainians. And it was really heartwarming to see him the other day with President Vladimir Zelensky in Kyiv in, in what was really a very touching moment. They do seem very close and they do seem like they genuinely like and respect each other and are in this together. Is that the sense you got out of watching those images? And how did you feel seeing the president of the United States with Zelensky in Kyiv? I didn't believe that Biden came to Kyiv until I saw the real video of him walking on streets of our capital. I, truthfully, I didn't expect, and I think it was a very powerful step. And we, I think in Ukraine, appreciate this gesture and we consider this as a very strong sign of support. So I think it, it was very risky and I think not just me, but a lot of people in Ukraine and not just in Ukraine did not expect this step from American president. But again, we appreciate it so much. Certainly seeing the two of them strolling around in the street outside was quite stunning with the air raid sirens going off in the background. And that is a sight you don't expect to see by the person in the world that is probably the most secure and guarded, and yet it must have really impacted the Kremlin, as I'm sure that they would have imagined that they would have had Vladimir Putin walking through the streets of Kyiv at this time when they began this war. That is not, in fact, what happened. And it's an indicator of just how desperate they are right now in terms of this war situation. And, and looking at the front lines today, I was really struck by how few of their very many offensives that are trying to break through the 
Ukraine front line there are just being repelled again and again. There just seems to be no opportunity for the Russians to really penetrate that front line. Is that the sense you're getting that even this supposed new offensive is turning out to be rebuffed by the Ukrainians? We think that our army becomes stronger. And again, we appreciate the help from Western countries. And I must say that the feeling I had the first weeks or first month of this invasion and the feelings I have right now, they are absolutely different because Russian troops were just 10 kilometers from my own home. And I heard the explosions and basically I heard the Russian tanks coming around. It was very dangerous. And we, after the victories, after our army liberated the Kyiv and many other places, I think that Ukrainians have no doubt that sooner or later, Ukraine, the whole country will be liberated and the, there is no other choice that Ukraine will win. That's a great place to leave it. Ruslan Denichenko of stopfake.org, the co-founder and executive of the organization. Thank you very much for spending some time with us tonight on Narrative. Hopefully we'll talk again and hopefully this war will end soon and hopefully it'll be, you'll be able to return to a completely normal life before you know it. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you for inviting me. Let me get your initial thoughts. So that's uh, pretty great to have, I'm sorry, Danchenko from stopfake.org joining us tonight. Check out their website, stopfake.org. A little hint for you, if it's in Ukrainian, you can always translate it using a Google Translate or if you're on the Chrome browser, just hit that translate button and you'll find all that information you need to know. It's a great service and uh, one we should be emulating in North America. That's our show for tonight. My thanks to Michael McKay and Eric Garland as well for being here tonight. A big show discussing the really difficult geopolitical challenges ahead as we see China tiptoeing towards a bit of an alliance with Russia on Ukraine. As always, you're welcome to join our incredible patrons who help us make this content every week. You can go to patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative and sign up today. Starting next week, we'll be doing our Spy Murdoch series which will ultimately be a members-only series. So next week is free, so everyone can check out what we've got in store from the week after that. The content will be exclusive to our members. It's a great series all about Rupert Murdoch and his espionage activities for many decades. And we'll explain to you how that impacts the Fox News that we have today. So that starts next Wednesday. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit subscribe. If you're watching on Twitter, don't forget to follow my Twitter account and also set up notifications for live feeds or live video when we do them, and you won't miss a future narrative ever again. That's our show for tonight. Thanks again to all our guests. We shall see you next week on Wednesday for the premiere of Spy Murdoch. Have a good night, everybody. Every minute of narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.